0: So we have two readings. The first one is found on page uh, 555 in the Bibles, if you find it easier to see on a page than on a screen, but I think the reading will also be on the screen. And uh, it's Psalm 24, while you're finding it, on page 555. And we've actually sung quite a lot of this already. So, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord, and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord almighty, he is the King of glory. Then the second reading is found on page 1238. It's Revelation 7, verses 9 to 11. So page 1238. Revelation 7, 9 to 11. The Great Multitude in White Robes. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. "'standing before the throne and before the Lamb. "'They were wearing white robes "'and were holding palm branches in their hands, "'and they cried out in a loud voice, "'Salvation belongs to our God "'who sits on the throne and to the Lamb.' "'All the angels were were standing round the throne "'and round the elders and the four living creatures. "'They fell down on their faces before the throne.' and worshipped God.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. It's um, wonderful to be with you again. And uh, what a passage to preach on. What a pair of scriptures to preach on. Goodness me. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I had two thoughts. One is that, um, in fact, I was just about to think how unworthy I was when, Sarah-Jane, you prayed about not feeling unworthy. So that was super helpful. Um, and the second thought was um, that Emma Sear probably said all we needed to hear. <laughs> wasn't that a beautiful, wasn't that a be- thank you mate, wasn't that a beautiful testimony? My goodness. Um, it's, it's beautiful to hear, young hearts, touched like that. Um, and fascinating as well <clears throat> to see how the enemy attacks in that way. But God has the victory. Uh, God has the victory. Which is, of course, where we stand this morning. In the great... Um, in the great Oscar-winning film, Chariots of Fire, still my number one movie after all these years. It came out when I was 15, and it's still my number one. <clears throat> the, uh, the pastor in Scotland explains to Eric Little's coach, the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. The Lord does not have to stand for re-election. So it's a dictatorship then, the coach asks. Sorry for my Scottish accent, guys. Aye, replies the pastor, but a benign, loving dictatorship. A benign, loving dictatorship. This left a massive impression on me as a 15-year-old and a new believer growing up in the 80s. What a great thought. What a great thought. Our God's supreme and loving authority, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as we approach with reverence and delight today's two most fabulous passages of Scripture, we should just hold this thought dear, that no matter what happens here, no matter what a mess we make of the paradise we were given on earth, God is on his throne. God is on his throne. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Perhaps the most foundational truth in the world the foundational truth of the kingdom of God. He reigns and always will. And then when we enter in through the veil, there is so much more. That reign, that transcending power of God that means that all things become possible. All things become possible, as Gabriel so famously said to Mary. The textures, the colors, the adventure of life, the joy. Let's step in this morning. Let's step in this morning together and see where God takes us. And... We're going to start with the great revelation of John the Gospel writer, uh, which hits one of its majestic high points in chapter 7. Actually, just before we go there, I want to go to those of you who who know me, know that one of my favorite psalms is, um, perhaps my favorite psalm of all, is Psalm 110, and I just briefly want to go there. If you want to come with me, it's on page 613. The Lord says to my Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord, the first Lord, is written in capitals. That is Yahweh. That is the Lord Almighty. We'll come back to that name later. But That is God the Father reigning. The Lord says, to my Lord. My Lord is David's prophetic Lord, who is Jesus Christ. David's descendant will be Jesus, the Son of the living God. The Lord says, to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is the great oracular psalm, prophetic psalm of David, the prophet king, who sees heaven open with the Father speaking to the Son. And the until means that he anticipates a battle that will be ongoing. So there's a battle that we are now in, while the Lord Father is making the enemies of Jesus a footstool for his feet. So then if we go to Revelation, that's the background. If we then go to our reading, Revelation 7. Revelation 7 and verse 14, we find ourselves in what, the, uh, what John calls the Great Tribulation. These are now the end times of the battle. Page one two three eight. These are now the end times of the battle. The great multitude of God's people are standing clothed in white, pure and invincible, and singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. So he's reigning, we're back to Psalm 110. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we know now we are in the parousia, the return of Christ, because we see Jesus depicted as Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as John the Baptist famously has it. This is the great culmination of our history. We look earlier in chapter 7, and can see that the great wrath of God is about to be poured out on the world. But first, those who are sealed in Christ are raised immortal. And if this interests you, and it should, it really should, we haven't got time to go there today, but a great foundational scripture is 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15 to 18, about how those who are sealed in Christ will be raised immortal to be spared the anguish of the great judgment of the world. And then listen to the great promise of verses 15 to 17 on page 1238. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. <clears throat> for the lamb <clears throat> excuse me, for the lamb, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a promise. It's a promise, because although it's happening, it's happening. At the return, it's a promise for us. And this is us, this great multitude, this is us. This is us and a vast, uncountable number of brothers and sisters. Imagine, imagine the church of God arrayed in all its glory, people saved as far as the eye can see. Not Wembley Stadium, but a million Wembley Stadiums. As far as the eye can see. All restored to protection, to perfection, and all protected from the judgment that is about to be poured out at any moment on the world. That's us. And what are we being preserved for? What are we being preserved for? We haven't actually the time this morning to go forward in Revelation, but I want to go back to Psalm 24. But a sneak peek into Revelation 21 tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. This is really important, right? Um... My friend John Eldridge does the most magnificent job in a book called All Things New. I meant to bring it with me this morning. Imagine this is a book. It's got a white cover, and it's called All Things New. I think it's on sale here, but if it's not, it's deliverable within one day on Amazon Prime at a price of $9.99. Best hand you have ever spent. Incredibly encouraging. All Things New, and John debunks the myth that eternity is just one long church service in the sky, Beautiful though church services are, fabulous though our worship's been this morning, we want more than that. And of course, God has far more than that for us. And there is overwhelming evidence in Scripture to show that the eternity that is in store for us will be paradise restored, as Milton has it. And it will be beautiful. And we, the people of God, will be radiant and youthful and full of energy and light and exuberant joy. As Aslan explains to the children in Lewis's beautiful final scene of the Narnia Chronicles, the term is over, the holidays have forgot. Yeah, the dream is ended. This is the morning, right? This is, this is now reality. So all of this is to come. The kingdom of God is to come. Yeah, great. Great, <laughs> hallelujah. <clears throat> but what of the here and now? What of the here and now? So we're actually going to start with, not actually the here and now, but the then. We're going to go back now. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. So if you'd like to turn uh, back to that one with me. I don't know what genius put Psalm 24 on the weekend of the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. But whoever selected that, well done. Psalm 24 was written way back when, of course, by King David, around 970 B.C. And in this magnificent song of worship, he proclaims the kingdom right there and then. He is saying in 970 B.C., the kingdom of God is here, right here and now. Here, right now, a thousand years before Christ. And there are two parts to this psalm. The first one, which is verses 1 to 6 is all about the covenant with Israel. And it starts with this great and uncompromising reminder, verses 1 and 2, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it actually belongs to God. All of it belongs to God because he created it all in the first place. He created it all in the first place. I've been talking to Richard and Sarah Jane about the vastness of the universe. Um, There is a beautiful book out there. It's a, uh, if any of you have ever seen it, it's full of magnificent uh, photographs from um, from telescopes. Uh, and it's it's it's, so it's beautifully illustrated, and it's written by actually a combination of uh, an Italian astronomer and our friend Matt Redman, extraordinarily. And it is the most beautiful book, but it shows the vastness of the universe, or some of the vastness of the universe, in the context of a creator god. And if I can just become do an astronomy zero zero one with you just for a moment i found out these three facts which i think taken together are completely astonishing fact number one the number of stars in the universe right now i'm not even going to ask you to guess until this morning i thought it was about five quintillion so five quintillion is impossible to get your head right but it's five million 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 so you take a million things And then you multiply that by a million. And you hold that, and you multiply that by a million. And then just multiply that by five for good number. That's what I thought, until Richard Root told me this morning that I'm out of date by a factor of 100. So there's actually 500 quintillion right now. So that's the number of stars in the universe. That's fact one. Fact two, stars are very big things. We think the sun is an enormous ball of fire, and it is. The sun, however, is one of the smallest stars in the universe. It's a yellow dwarf. If you compare it to a red giant, you think, oh, yeah, so there's the sun, and then there's bigger stars. No, 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 no. The sun is to a red giant like a golf ball is to Mount Everest. So that is the scale of some of the stars in the universe. So imagine you've now got 500 quintillion of those things. That's a lot, And now if you want your mind truly blown, wait for this. The density of stars in space, that's how close they are to each other, is like three grains of sand in Winchester Cathedral. That's the space that they occupy. So all those 500 quintillion sun times Mount Everests are so far apart from each other that it's like trying to find three grains of sand in Winchester Cathedral. That is unimaginable, right? I mean, if you can imagine that, you're a better person than I, Gunga Din. And that is what God's created. And it's still growing. He's still creating, which is why I was out of date by a power of 100, a factor of 100. You just can't get your head around it. It's, we are so small. And yet we are bearers of his image, extraordinary. So I don't want to lessen who we are. But my goodness, we are so small. So if you're facing big problems at the moment, they're not big. Just saying. Just saying. You and me both, right? And then, in verses 3 and 4, we read that we can ascend the hill of the Lord. We can come to the creator of all this. Wow. Astounding. If we have clean hands and a pure heart, I balked a little at that, if I'm honest, writing this sermon. I thought, okay, not sure about that. And then if we don't worship idols or swear by what is false, I felt a bit better about that, but still not truly comfortable. And verse 5, we will receive blessings. So it's still pretty good news, right? We can ascend the hill of the Lord, and we will receive blessing. Then just when we are considering this, we get part 2, verses 7 to 10, the coming of the Lord. Now, this is not yet the return of the king that we've read about in Revelation, but almost certainly was composed for the arrival of the ark, the bringing in of the ark of the covenant. The kingdom has come, says David, and is still coming. And the arrival of the ark is something that meant so much to David, as probably many of you know, that he would dance like a mammon in front of it as it came in and throw away all human dignity and all face. And as the Lord comes, we hear this tremendous echo, so beautifully done by our two readers. Thank you, guys. Lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he? The people answer. Who is this? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So we've got this image of the bearers of the ark saying, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. It's poetic. But they're saying, be, receive the king. And the people say back, who is this? And they say, they say, it's the king of glory. It's the king of glory. not only unequivocally God, but the Lord mighty in battle, the great warrior king who always wins his battles. This is the God who triumphs. This is the Yahweh of Psalm 110 who says to his son, sit here now that you've waged war and won salvation for all humankind. Sit here while I make your enemies a footstool for your throne. Oh yes, he always, he always wins his battles. Then the beautiful echoing happens again. Lift up your heads. You gates will be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he? The people say again, this king of glory. It's poetry. They're doing it twice. But this time the answer comes back even more emphatic. The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Lord Almighty is a really interesting phrase. It, it's the same as Lord of hosts. It actually means, I mean, we, it's a bit, you know, what does Almighty mean? It means kind of he can do everything. But we, we kind of lose some of the power of it. It actually means the Lord of angel armies. The Lord of angel armies, this is the conquering God. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. This is the king, Renyant, who who we meet again in the pages of Revelation, who's worshipped by all, as the hymn writer has it, and then by men and angels, thy name shall be adored. There's no doubt in David's mind that the kingdom has already come and is still coming. And we know, of course, that between then and now, there's already been so much more of God's great story, so much more. Because the Abrahamic covenant will, of course, give way to the new covenant. And Jesus will come, the lamb in whose blood all the white-robed of Revelation 7 are washed clean. And with his advent, with his coming, my discomfort Our discomfort disappears. We now have the clean hands and the pure heart required to ascend the hill of the Lord. We no longer rely on ourselves and our abilities. It's not about us. I am made righteous by the very one who sits on the throne. And you can't argue with that. This is what Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of God is among you. And when he said, today salvation has come to this house. From now... The Lord of hosts needs no ark in which to live. He's come in the flesh, and his kingdom comes still, beginning with our own hearts and in our own kingdoms and domains. And one day soon, God's dwelling place will be among the people, and he will dwell with us, and we will be his people, and God himself will be with us and be our God. Revelations 21, and verse 3. So that's the then and the future and what now where does that leave us where does that leave us because i want to leave it on a practical note how do we how do we take that forward i mean it's beautiful isn't it right it's magnificent always was always will be what does it mean for us today i come to you says gandalf in the return of the king i come to you at the turning of the tide i'm not sure we're quite at the turning of the tide but we're at an extraordinary point in history some some astonishing spirits I think have been loosed on the world um, identity theft I, I mean I that was the first one I wrote down and I didn't know about Emma's testimony this morning but listen to the way her identity was 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 attacked depression and despair um, Lust. um this unbridled sort of slew of pornography and the whore of Babylon, all the stuff that's out there, the whole shooting match seems to be out there. And what matters in this context is how we live. It's how we live today, you and me, how we conduct ourselves. Not judgmental, but not acquiescent. Kind, yet strong. Bloodied, but unbowed. Vulnerable in many ways, yet having a godly resilience. Thoughtful, yet bold and courageous. Aware, yet rationally optimistic. And safe, safe in the sure and certain hope of heaven. It's a tall ask. But that's how we're called to live. And it's also about taking our place in the next scene in the coming of the kingdom of God. I've just got to share with you this. I think Psalm 24 has a remarkable significance for winchester a remarkable significance for winchester so three i think it was three years ago yeah or was it two i you know i'm sorry i did it's either two and a half i think it's two and a half actually um my friend john eldridge came to winchester um just to visit and he and uh, a, another friend three of us walked up on saint catherine's hill and, and john doesn't often get these the prophetic words, that's not particularly his ministry, but as we prayed over the city on Saint Catherine's Hill, he had this very, very, very clear he's looked at Fintan and he said, I'm just hearing, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up you ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. And we sat. He, he came by invitation the next day and we did instead of a sermon we just did a, a little interview here some of you were here we just did a little interview here on barstools and he talked for about 25 minutes and he, and and he he spoke that he said there's something extraordinary going on about the city of winchester and he spoke that over the city and uh, afterwards charlotte slinger then church warden came up to me and said did you that's incredible and i said yeah, it's beautiful and she said "No, no no but uh, and some of you will know this because you're among them, but the, the group of Winchester intercessors who meet regularly to pray for our city and have been doing for about four years, I think now, they, the convening word that they had when they first came together was, lift up your heads, ye gates. <laughs> Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. And John had no clue. I mean, I, I didn't know that. I had no clue. So I am sure in my spirit that this psalm has a particular message for Winchester what does it mean does it is this the spirit of god commanding that winchester rouse itself to welcome the living god i think it is i think it is time that we rouse ourselves to welcome the living god what does that mean what does that mean for winchester i think there's something really special about this place i've seen the heavens open over this place i, I, I was looking the other day just at <clears throat> it's a while since now but i was looking at the picture book of when we did the passion here um, th- there's and there's an image of the whole Cathedral Green covered with people just doing this. There were 12,000 that night. I mean, it's a drop in the ocean compared to, compared to the scale of what's going to happen in the world. But it's a starting point. There's something about Winchester. There's something about Alfred writing the laws of the land here with a pen in one hand and a Bible in the other 1,200 years ago. There's something about that. And we're privileged to be here. And I... I I don't know, but I know he's gonna light fires here that are gonna burn the length and breadth of the country. And I find myself asking, what part am I up for in all this? And I would just ask you to do the same. And you can ask me afterwards, you can say, What fires are these that you're talking about? And I'm not sure, if I'm honest. I don't know exactly what they'll look like, but I do know that fires tend to be exciting and terrifying at the same time, and that's going to happen. And What we do know is that everything's now possible. Everything is now possible. A friend once asked me, what would you attempt if you knew you could not possibly fail? It's a great question, isn't it? What would you try now if you knew you could not possibly fail? And I'm going to suggest to you, that if what you try is given you by the Spirit of God, you cannot possibly fail. We cannot possibly fail. So Winchester, watch out. Land of the United Kingdom, watch out, because we are up for something extraordinary. Um, I'm just going to share just a a couple of prophetic images that have not been given to me, but have been given to a number of people. One is the wave, just a, a huge wave about to break, but it's a beautiful wave. It's a wave that we should welcome. It's not a wave that's going to destroy. It's a wave that's going to somehow... Somehow refresh and build up, but it's an enormous way. A man who has beautiful insight had a dream recently. He was taken to the to the kingdom, and he was he was in the kingdom of heaven. But all he saw were empty, like empty tables and empty rooms, and like people had been there, but there was nothing. And and he went to to speak with a man who was there, who was probably an angel, and he said, "What's going on?" And the angel said. They're all at the front line. They're all at the front line. It's like the army's all mustered and ready. They're not here anymore, they've deployed. It's like I, heaven was empty, ready, ready, with the armies ready to, that something's gonna happen. I think we should set our sights high. <clears throat> I don't know what that means. I, I wish I did, I just know it's incredibly exciting. We must know that the God whom we serve The great creator who is beyond imagining, is victorious and is reigning and is unchangeable with no re-election, no end to his rule, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is our awesome God, and with him all things are possible. Amen.